Okay, we've been looking at John's Gospel, and we are in the first part of chapter 13 today. Do you recognize this person? In his big issue uniform. Who is it? It's Prince William. This is Prince William. Uh, around maybe three, four weeks ago, around about the 10th of June, out on the streets of London, wearing a big issue uniform and selling the magazine. Now, rather than having fallen on some surprise hard times, the prince was trying to raise awareness for the plight of the homeless, uh, one of his particular chosen passions and missions. What a noble task. I mean, I'm all for this. This is brilliant. To see one of our, our you know, king-in-waiting, if you like, out in the streets selling magazines is an unusual but refreshing thing, I think. But this kind of choice is not seen very often. Most people are trying to get ahead, to look better, to dress better, if you like, to look more impressive and command a stronger position. Uh, but imagine that this was the real choice that our Prince William had made to actually give up his kind of royal job, if you like, and go and sell the big issue. Let's look at our passage together. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone is clean. When he had finished washing his feet, he put on his clothes and returning to his place, and returned to his place, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for what I have done, sorry, my iPad just went a bit crazy, <laughs> for, uh, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verily, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. What a great passage. Three times previously, Jesus has said in the book of John, my hour has not yet come. But when we arrive at this point in the book, in John's gospel, it has all changed. We are now at the journey towards the cross. This is the start of that last little, little route towards the cross the time of Jesus' departure from this world was soon to arrive. The hour had come. You're coming to the end of your life. What are the main lessons that you want to leave with your closest friends? 
Think about this in the context of Jesus and the disciples. Roman rule, hated by the, the ruling religious leaders, likely no, promised hardship ahead. What do you say to the people who follow you? I'm sure there's loads of things that you would say. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things that Jesus says as well. And I'm not looking to reduce this all down to just one message. Uh, but I think if I was passing on my thoughts, most of mine would have been about being courageous, standing firm, being wise, making prudent decisions, guarding yourself, and maybe even a few thoughts about how to blend in and be covert in difficult times. Is that what Jesus says? Well, he does have some thoughts about some of those things, but they're not the primary point. Jesus is looking out for the kingdom of God. He wants the faith to flourish. He wants the, the church to change the world. What is he going to say? The way that Jesus thinks that the movement will thrive the most is an uncomfortable message for most of us to hear. It is to have his followers serve each other. But just before we get into that, let's have a look at a truly beautiful verse. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. To the end of what? Well, the phrase is not actually one about time or chronology. It's, it's all about extent. This would be well rendered. He loved them to the uttermost, to the fullest extent possible. It was not really a remark that Jesus would love them to his final breath, although he would, and he would love them beyond that too. In fact, he still hasn't stopped loving his disciples. But it wasn't about the love lasting into the eternity, lasting the, the span of time. It was actually about a love that has no boundaries. It has, is a, a statement about a love of which there is no until, there is no not that though. Meatloaf's lyrics, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, do not apply here. Everything was on the table in terms of Jesus showing his love to those disciples and also to you and I. The cruelty, the rejection, the mockery, the sham trial that was about to happen, the, the betrayal that was on the cards, the Roman beating, the nails, the cross, the separation from God, the wrath of God, the knowledge of death itself, nothing was beyond Jesus. If you need a verse today to remind you that Jesus' love for you goes beyond your mistakes, your rejection of him, your missed quiet times, your lying, your sinfulness, it is this. To know that Jesus loves you to the end, to the uttermost, and if you don't know Jesus today as your friend, saviour and Lord, then my, may I please, like Matt has already done, appeal to you to get to know him. He loves you to the uttermost as well. In spite of whatever rejection of him you might be involved in, Jesus loves you enough that it motivated him to go to the cross, to take the punishment for your sins, an eternal punishment all compressed down onto his body in three hours of darkness. That is overwhelming. That is amazing. That is proof of the utter devotion and unquestionable love that Jesus has for you. And so, as we come to this meal in our passage uh, tonight, or this, this morning, sorry, uh, the sermon's not going to be that long. Um, 
probably. Uh, the night, this is the night before Jesus is betrayed and he meets with his disciples. He knows that the end is quickly approaching. He knows that the one who's going to betray him is sitting in the room eating with him. Betrayal is afoot. Death is in the near future. Jesus is soon to be arrested, tried falsely and murdered. Jesus knew it was coming. Like a train on the track and all you can see is the lights plummeting towards you and he seems incapable of stopping it. Like a train plummeting towards you on a track. And yet we read these incredible words in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't exaggeration. It's not overemphasis. God the Father had put all things under the power of Jesus. In a moment, in a word, in a breath, Jesus could have commanded, he could have taken command of this entire world and ruled it as he deserves. But Jesus was about to be led away. He was about to be arrested. He was going to be put to death. They're all seemingly passive kind of things. They're all concepts of one who has no power and no choice. And all of what was about to happen might have seemed like loss, but it was victory. Matthew 26 and verse 53 says this, it's the words of Jesus. Do you not think I cannot call on my father and he will, put, he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? God had also put into the hands of Jesus the choice to go to the cross. It was always his choice. All things had been put under his feet. But it was a choice that was only ever going to have one outcome, the cross, because Jesus loved them and you to the end. So even as Jesus seems to be defeated, he's winning, choosing the outcome entirely. Even as he chooses to hide his power, he is showing strength. If you decide, and most people have done this at least once, uh, to have an arm wrestling competition with a child, and you decide to shelter your obvious overpowering strength and let them win, it does not make you weak. It means that you have shown the strength to choose to let them win. Defeat is not in the nature of Jesus. He just can't do it. Our Lord is undefeatable. And it was in this context, it was in this moment of choosing victory that Jesus stands up, picks up a towel, and starts to wash the feet of the disciples. It was still a show of strength to choose to take the lowly position. If you choose lowly servant-heartedness, it's not weakness, quite the opposite. It's the strength to put other people first. Notice in these very well-known verses in Philippians chapter 2, in your relationships with one another, one another, and we'll come back to that, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus was not made nothing. He made himself nothing. It was always his decision. And as Jesus picks up this towel to wash the feet of his, his friends, he isn't faking it. 
He isn't putting on a show to motivate or to empower or to make a point for his disciples or for us. That's not what he's doing. The nature of God was not exchanged for one of a servant in this moment. It was revealed by Jesus, wrapped in a towel and engaging in some fairly horrible work. When we see Jesus in these moments, we see the nature of God just as we do in creation, just as we do in his resurrection, just as we do in his power. And we remind ourselves that this was not a pleasant thing that he was doing, regardless of your own feelings of heat. And my understanding is that most people think they're disgusting, even though they have them. I don't think that you would probably like the job of washing even the feet of anybody here. 2,000 years ago, it was a lot worse. People's feet were covered in dust, dirt, sweat, probably sores, probably quite a bit worse than that, as they walked along their non-tarmac roads in their open-toed sandals. It was pretty disgusting. And it was the job of the lowest servant in the house to wash the feet of any visitors. And here is the Lord of all things, the one who the Father has put all things under his power, choosing this. Verse 14 says this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. So this morning I came along early and I filled up the baptismal tank. And just in the moment, we are going... No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> no, we're not. Um, I don't think that this is actually a call to reinstate this particular work. Although there are churches, many churches around the world, who do have foot washing services that take place. And that's, that's okay. Uh, although I do think it's quite telling that in our, our recent survey, our recent vision questionnaire, nobody put forwards a foot washing service. So I think we can probably say on behalf of the elders, good. Um, but what does this mean for us in this moment? Can I suggest a few quick practical things about serving like Jesus? Firstly, when Jesus served, he did so practically. He didn't just tell people what they should do. If we just flick the next slide on, Paul, thanks. It's great to be part of a church where, for example, CAP is making a real difference to people. It's practical. It, it's spiritual as well, but it's practical. It, it really helps people. And it's obviously not the only place where that takes place in this church. When you mow the lawn of somebody in our church, or wash a car, or do some shopping for a friend here, or tidy a house, or make a meal, we are serving like Jesus did. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We know our works don't earn salvation. The Bible never teaches that. But God is interested in our good works. Faith without works is dead, after all. And that kind of service, that kind of practical service for people, it breaks down walls in ways that nothing else does. These types of practical works, they change the hearts of people around about us. It opens doors, it encourages forgiveness, it develops unity in a church. This particular, this particular passage sorry, starts the, the upper work room discourse filled with instruction for his disciples. But as Jesus, in his normal incredible way, starts, he touches before he teaches. That was taken from the internet. Before, <laughs> it's important to cite the sources. Um, 
but he starts to instruct. Sorry, before he starts to instruct, he gets down and dirty and close and in amongst people. For any of us, it should, and it should be all of us, who are trying to encourage and at times correct people around about us, it's important that we get in amongst them, that we spend time with them, that we experience life with them, that we understand them, that we get close, that we touch them first. I've witnessed too many instances, I, I have to personally confess, growing up in particular, of certain people in, in churches who, when they thought about instructing, in particular younger people, younger Christians, never thought to get to know them first, never tried to experience life with them, just straight to the do's and don'ts, straight to the instruction. Practical serving also makes theological teaching and correction so much easier to give and so much easier to take. But you might think, you might be picturing your service, service of, of a neighbor, service of somebody down the street, service of a friend at work, as an outreach, as an evan evangelistic work. And that's great, and I'm not saying it's not, but actually this type of service starts here in the church. Jesus isn't here calling his disciples to go out into the world and serve the lost, though that's great. He's calling on his disciples to serve each other. And this is something that is beyond kind of our understanding. And there's something powerful that, that we don't really get in church. Uh, when people in church are serving each other, God has set up so it, it, it just does something that we don't fully get. It's not just about developing unity here, uh, but at the risk of stealing some verses from in two weeks' time, verse 34 of this chapter says, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So our serving needs to be to each other, practical, in God's family. But through that, we show the world that we are his. And we show the world who Jesus is and we show the world the nature of God. Thirdly, Jesus, amongst many things, was remarkable in his willingness to sacrifice. He was the Lord of all things, the eternal one, the creator of the universe, yet became man, yet became a homeless man, yet became a homeless man that now bows before his disciples and washes their feet. And as was mentioned earlier, this was a lowly job. It was the job of the least of the servants, but it was the position that Jesus took. Such sacrifice from Jesus. There is no end to the sacrifices that our Lord was willing to make. So next time you have an opportunity to serve someone around about you and you think, yeah, okay, I could do that, but actually this afternoon I was going to fill in the blank. Well, just remember that the sacrifices of Jesus were so much beyond anything that we could give. And then when you picture in that context, you can have a word with yourself. There is no sacrifice too great for Christ. We do love to say at times, God loves a cheerful giver, but this is usually when we're looking at other people. It's important that we are willing, like Christ, to sacrifice on behalf of each other, to give as Jesus gave, to work and to serve sacrificially 
Fourthly, I don't think it even entered the head of Jesus, his status compared to those that were in front of him. He is the divine one, the one to whom the whole world will bow. But here he, he bows in front of ex-fishermen and ex-tax collectors and ex-government workers, and his status is irrelevant. There is no caste system in the eye of Jesus. There is no social class structure here. Jesus is not bothered about folks' employment history, their social status, their popularity, their appearance, or quite frankly anything else. He just loves them and gets on and serves them. Next time you get a chance to serve someone else and that bit of your brain kicks in and you think, yeah, but I'm above this. Or even worse, I'm above you. Well, let this example of Jesus beat you around the head and the heart. And similarly, I don't think he would look, I don't think he cared how he looked to others when it came to serving either. Wouldn't he look a bit odd, stripping down to a towel and washing feet? Wouldn't people tut if they hear? Wouldn't people think less of him? Do you think less of Jesus as you see him taking this remarkable position of a servant? Do you tut? Do you think that's outrageous? He needs to get up and stop making a fool of himself? I bet you don't. So next time, an opportunity to serve for God's glory and for the reputation of the kingdom comes along and you think, yes, but what will people think? Or when you see someone in need and you think, yes, but if I offer my service, they might think I'm a weirdo. And they might. Well, it doesn't matter. Get on and do it anyway. Now, you might have noticed that this isn't the first foot washing that we've seen recently. In chapter 12, there was a meal and Mary came to wash the feet of Jesus and soaked them in precious perfume. And Jesus explained back then, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. On that occasion, one chapter ago, the washing was for Jesus. In chapter 13, where we are, there's also a meal and there's also foot washing but this time it's for the disciples. What effect is this going to have on them? Now, the disciples should have actually been interested in washing each other's feet. There clearly wasn't a servant there to do it. So they should have been washing each other's feet. But they weren't. It's actually really quite bad. In Luke chapter 22, we read that this is the very meal that they are arguing over who is the greatest among them. Who has made the greatest impact who was most significant? Look at this short passage from Luke 22. Now there was also a dispute among them as to who, as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or who, he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. Ouch. I'm glad I wasn't one of the disciples there. You're arguing over who is the greatest. And Jesus disrobes, puts on a towel, and starts to wash your feet as a humble servant. What a lesson in humility for them. What a lesson for me. Did it leave an imprint? 
Did it, did it have an impact? Well, decades later, when Peter wrote to Christians about humility, he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. More literally, Peter wrote, wrap the apron of humility around about yourself. I think what Jesus did here remains in the heart and the mind of Peter. All Jesus was doing was displaying the nature of God. If you want to leave a legacy in this world, if you want to make an impact, if you want to be remembered, if you want to change people around about you, and I think we probably all do, really, but really, then the way we do it is by showing the nature of God. And in particular, we do it by serving each other. You do that, and you will change people, and you will be remembered, and your legacy will be incredible. So it's fairly easy to do, isn't it? To, to wash the feet of those you're close to and care about. Well, maybe easy is a bit of a stretch, but it seems reasonable at least. Is this what Jesus did? Yes and no. He certainly washed the feet of his friends, but then he went one step further. Judas is in the room. This is incredible. Jesus knew what Judas was gearing up to do. Within 24 hours, Judas, well, he's already made the choice, but within 24 hours, Jesus is going to have betrayed Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus washes his feet too. Can you imagine that? Making the choice to bow down in front of someone that you know is going to be so cruel and so hateful to you and, and serve them anyway. The grace and the love of Jesus Christ is without words. It's without understanding. Where I would have been trying to pull off toys, Jesus lovingly cares and washes feet. Who is there in your life who you think doesn't deserve your time, doesn't deserve your energy, doesn't deserve you serving them? Serve them anyway. After all, we were all enemies of his before we entered a relationship with Jesus. We were all enemies of God, and he came for us anyway. And he served us, and he served us all the way to the cross. And what he has done for us, we can forward a fraction of that onto other people. And I am glad, truly glad, to be able to look around and see a church full of servant-hearted people. And I mean that with all my heart. Those who clean our church without anybody really noticing. We would notice if it wasn't done, but don't necessarily notice it every week. Those who end up in the kitchen after church, washing plates and cups, thinking, this is rubbish. And I've been that person, and it's rubbish. <laughs> those who give lifts to and from church, those who uh, just do so many things, inconvenience themselves, things that I can't even think about because I don't even know about them, but people are doing them in the background. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your Jesus-like attitude. Thank you for what you do for this church and for what you are doing for God's kingdom, because that's what it is. And if it, even if it doesn't seem like much to you to wash some plates and put them away, you can be sure that the Father sees your service and is glad for it. Now, sadly, not everybody works like this, and I'm not looking at anybody in particular or thinking of anybody. 
But Spurgeon reminds us in one of his sermons that one of the sad things is that too often God's people have been very keen to just point at dirty feet, to just point out the, the failings and focus on the failings of other people rather than getting down on the floor and helping them to be clean. Unlike our Lord, we've all made mistakes. I know I have. And so as we humbly accept our own failings, we need to look at others in the spirit of grace and love, not looking to judge, but to lift. Not looking to break apart, but to build up. May we be those people, encouragers, supporters, builder-uppers, that's a word, feet cleaners. And so as we come to Peter in our passage, Peter's a confusing character. Not just here, but all through scripture. He goes from Jesus, you will never wash my feet, to Jesus, please wash my feet, my hands and my head. Certainly, it was never a lack of commitment with, with Peter. That was never the problem. And this is a beautiful example in our passage of servant-heartedness. But it's also more about just having clean feet. And Peter hadn't quite understood that. These disciples would have washed in the morning, but their general walking around in the day meant that their feet would get dirty. The general living of the day affected their cleanliness in ways that just affected their feet, but it didn't make them totally dirty. And Jesus explains to them that you have to be in me to be clean. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me, he says in verse 8. But there is also a need to have their feet cleaned. Now, if we are in Jesus, if we are saved by his precious blood, we are saved by, by the finished work at Calvary, then we are washed fully cleaned forever. We are cleansed, we are purchased, we are washed with the, the blood of the, Christ, of the Lamb, but we do get our feet dirty every day. We don't need to worry about punishment for those mistakes, for those sins. They're already, that's already dealt with at the cross. But those daily sins do get in the way between us and God. They affect our relationship. And, and it needs dealt with. The damage, it, it, it needs fixed. Those sins need confessed to God. And they need to be brought in humility so that we can get back to a right relationship and walk rightly with God. The whole idea is seen right, right back from the, the Old Testament. The priests of God in the Old Testament, when they started their ministry, they were washed head to foot, baptized into the service of the sanctuary. But then every day, they, they just got dirty. So as they started, they would go to the brazen labor and they would wash their hands, they would wash their feet, and they would get ready for that day's service. And it was all a picture, all a picture for us. We are purified. We are washed clean by the blood of Christ. But we do get dirty in the day. We do make our mistakes. And we do need to take those sins when we realize them to God, to Jesus, and we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to confess them. What is it that's often said? Keep short tabs with God. When we know that there's a sin, just confess it with humility. Pray our repentance. And actually, the amazing thing is that kind of system stops us from sinning. It reduces the amount of sin that we actually do. It's amazing like that. But do note that it is only the washing of Jesus that we find eternal purification. There is no other way. We cannot cleanse ourselves. It is not our work. It is not our forgiveness that is required. It is that of God the Father. And therefore it is only through God 
that we find ourselves washed fully and eternally clean. So let's do what we can to keep our feet, in inverted commas, as clean as possible, both hygienically and also spiritually. Living for God, confessing our sins when we realize that we have committed sins. But let us remember and rejoice that we have been fully washed from that sin. We have been completely changed. What actually Jesus has done for us is found in Psalm 117, where it says this, he raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, and they're the princes of the people. Through Jesus, we've been lifted right out of the dirt, right out of the dust. We've been freed from the bondage of sin. We don't actually need to sin anymore. We need to own that and realize that and live in the truth of that. But we don't need to sin anymore because we've been freed from that. We've been lifted out of the dust. Praise God for what he has done for us. But one way that we show this is by serving people. One way that we show our purity and our our cleanliness and, and that we are in Christ is by serving those around us just as Jesus did. And so... We have this great example from Jesus of how to serve, of how to love like others. So as I finish, let's just finish with that final verse from our passage, a promise from God that we can hold on to in verse 17. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Father, I thank you for the incredible example of Jesus to us. I thank you that his obedience as a servant took him far further than just foot washing. It took him to Calvary for us. We bless you that for, the, for the love and the grace that you have shown to us. I ask that you help us to love like Jesus, to show the world your power as the church reaches inwards to serve and then outwards into the world too. Help us to do this with humility so that your name is glorified. We long for our actions to bring you honor. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to hand back to the band.